Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. So in John chapter 3, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And I mentioned the other week this whole concept that the Holy Spirit's a little like the wind, and you can't actually see the wind. And sometimes people say, well, you can't actually see the Holy Spirit, but we can still see the impacts of the wind. We can see the effects of the wind, just like we can see the effects and the impact that the Holy Spirit has. Maybe you've seen the impact of the Holy Spirit on someone else's life. Perhaps you've witnessed the Holy Spirit in your own life. Maybe haven't even connected the dots, but that's what actually brought you to the well or to church in the first place. But you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born of the Holy Spirit. And he says, look, like with physical birth, a man and a woman come together in the act of love, and there's an actual physical birth. And it's similar to when the Spirit of God and the Spirit of a man or woman come together, that there's this new spiritual birth. You're born again. And that's where this born-again Christian, the term, comes from. And Jesus is saying, you need this new spiritual birth. And when I became a Christian... When I truly gave my heart to God and encountered Jesus, I thought that was the end. I had done it. I had reached this mountaintop experience, and I was going to stay there forever. I prayed for the Holy Spirit to come into me, and I truly thought again that I had arrived. I would made it. But as the days continued and I journeyed on, I quickly discovered, actually, no, I haven't arrived. Just like birth, this is merely the beginning. And so it is when the Spirit of God comes to live in a man or woman. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of new life. So what happens? What does the Holy Spirit do? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, so there's the handouts on the table that you can, you can track along with me while I'll go through those talking points. And the first talking point is, he makes you a son or a daughter of God. In 14... Paul writes this, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. And what Paul is saying here is that it's the highest privilege that you can have in life. The highest status that you can have in life. To be a son or daughter of the king. To be a son or daughter of God. And he was writing in the culture of Roman law. And under Roman law, when someone adopted someone as a child, that was regarded as the highest status that that person could have. You're not a slave, you're a child. And it's not so dissimilar today. I, I heard a story one time of a little boy playing at the playground, and he had been adopted, and his friends knew that, and they were all making fun of him for being adopted. But he turned around and said, look, my parents chose me. They got stuck with you. 
It's a huge privilege to be an adopted child of God. I have a quick video uh, to show you. My best friend is called Steve, and I also happen to be married to him. And he was actually adopted as a baby. And he utterly, utterly adores his parents, his adopted parents, and they adore him as well. He experienced a home and love and acceptance all through his childhood. And a few years ago, he actually wrote to his adoption agency and asked them to send his birth mother a letter. And he said, I just wanted to let you know that you did the right thing. I know you didn't want to give me up and you've probably wondered for years where I am, but I need you to know that you did, that I've had a wonderful life and I thank you for what you did for me. True adoption is knowing that you're accepted and loved no matter what, that you have a home and that you belong. And Steve has found that with his family and he sometimes forgets he's adopted, even though to the rest of us, it's pretty obvious. Not I love that. To be adopted, you know that you're accepted and you're loved. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He changes us. He changes every single one of us to become a son or daughter of the king. So we become a prince or a princess. It's the highest status. But then it's also the closest intimacy. Just making sure I haven't skipped a page. I thought there was something but it's all close to intimacy because now we also call him Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic word, and it's somewhat untranslatable, and that's why it's left in the Aramaic in Scripture. And it's a word that's never used in the Old Testament of our relationship with God, but Jesus uses it in his relationship with God. He calls God Abba. And then the amazing thing is, he says, you... You, all of you, can call God Abba. You have this relationship of intimacy, this closeness, and this word that if we were to translate it would be more like dad or daddy, but not in a childish sense, in an intimate sense. It's actually with a missionary uh, probably a couple of years ago now at the Starbucks over there by Chapters Indigo, and I remember him telling me this story that they had sent some missionaries overseas and no one had actually gone in to see this tribe. And uh, they'd never seen anyone outside their civilization. And they sent these people in by helicopter. And when they got there, they didn't know how it was going to go between this tribe and the missionaries. And as they were kind of at this standstill and kind of trying to figure out one another in the language, the, the tribe's person came forward and they kind of had this welcome that they would click fingers with one another. And they would say, Abba, Abba. And that was, that was the language that they had kind of come up with on their own. And what's amazing to me is it just reminds me of Romans 1.20 where Paul's saying, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So even this, peop the, the, this people group who didn't have the scriptures yet, still had this intimate welcome, Abba, Abba. And the missionaries were then able to describe to them who Abba is. And God says, you can call me dad. You can call me Abba. This intimate, loving relationship is offered to us. 
rather than this common belief that he's this angry judge that's either upset or disappointed with us, he's actually this loving heavenly father that we can approach as Abba. It's an intimate relationship. And then it's the deepest experience. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And this one, again, it's this personal experience that you have with the Holy Spirit. And as I've experienced the Holy Spirit over my life, it sometimes comes out in tears, which I often say I don't cry, and you guys have witnessed me crying on several occasions now. And I, and I do feel that that's a, I feel the Holy Spirit in those moments. Or sometimes you're just in a conversation with a friend and you get goosebumps or the hairs on the back of your neck just stand up. I still remember I was about to preach on the theology of suffering at Gateway. And that was such a scary topic to preach on because my experience of suffering pales in comparison to what I know other people have gone through and the journeys that they're walking. And I remember being so terrified to go up and preach. And the song, just before I was to go up, I just felt this cool breeze on the back of my neck. And I looked around and no one had moved, doors hadn't opened or closed. But it was just this reminder. I sensed the Holy Spirit and I had this sense that God was with me. And I think the first time you receive the Holy Spirit, you get this sense of like, man, God loves me. Not just for God so loved the entire world, like God loves me. But it's those experiences that remind me this testifying of the Holy Spirit between the Spirit that God fills, that puts in us, and the Father. And then secondly, the Holy Spirit helps us to develop this relationship. He doesn't just bring us into the relationship of being a son or daughter of God. He helps to develop it, to grow in it, to grow, grow closer to our Heavenly Father. He helps us to pray, which we looked at a few weeks ago. And we looked at the verse that says, through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us access just like that, that little boy I, that I was going to show the video clip and I didn't have it, who, who took the soldier up to the president, gave him access to the president because it was his father. That's, that's what we have with God. We have this access. The Spirit also helps us to pray. And the Spirit also helps us to understand the Bible. And this one's always a tricky one because... It's this tension of which comes first, belief or understanding, understanding or belief. And I remember in my intro to theology class several years ago, the prof at that time explained it like a game of chess. Like you can learn all the theory about chess and this and that, but until you're actually, until you're actually playing the game, it's a whole different experience. And it's somewhat like driving. Uh, you, you can give a 16-year-old the handbook, and they could memorize that front and back, but still, I'm sure Steve can testify to this, that when, when you get behind the, get in the seat with a kid behind the wheel of a car, it's an entirely different experience. And sometimes we have to think, or we think we have to understand everything before we can become a Christian, but it's actually the other way around. As we come to believe then we begin to understand 
more and more. And many of us, we've heard passages at weddings or at school or even church, but it doesn't mean we understand it. But when the Spirit of God comes to live within us, then we begin to understand. A great theologian in the church, Anselm of Canterbury, said this. I probably will butcher it, but bear with me. Credo ut intelligem, which means I believe in order that I might understand. He said, for I do not seek to understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. It's this tension that we have to wrestle with. And as we're, we're talking with friends and family who don't yet believe, it, it's, this, it's sometimes hard to explain and describe this experience that we have with the Holy Spirit. But it's through the Holy Spirit that he begins to help us understand more and more. He helps us to develop the relationship. And then the Spirit of God brings about the family likeness. He makes, he makes us more like Jesus. And for that, you, just, you look at kids who are born, and you, it's unreal how they can look like two different people. Even if the, the, the spouses look nothing alike, it's amazing that you're like, wow, like, Landon, when he was first born, looked like my father-in-law, and I'm like, that's unbelievable, but I was at my parents last night, and I saw a picture of myself at his age, and he looks just like me, and it's pretty amazing to see, but then what's stranger is how husbands and wives can actually grow to start looking more and more like each other by the time that they, they spend together, and then this was a blast to Google, but even dogs and their owners sometimes grow to look like each other. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> I spent way too long looking at these pictures, but uh, they had a researcher actually in this one article that I got this from, and she actually was able to go in and match the, the dog to their owner without knowing. And uh, family likeness. But in all seriousness, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. You're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. With ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit changes us to become more like Jesus. And what does that mean, more like Jesus? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 this is what it means to become more like Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does to bring about the family likeness in us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first and most important fruit of the Spirit, love. Love is the greatest thing in the world, and the Spirit wants to make us more loving. And then joy. Joy is different than just happiness and circumstances. Happiness is about what happens to us, and it can be this superficial layer, but joy is deep, and it's not dependent upon what happens. And then peace. Isn't, peace is amazing. And I wish I leaned into this a little bit more, but it's amazing when you're in the midst of anxiety and fear and guilt and depression and all this stuff, to be able to lean in to God and through his spirit experience this peace which transcends all understanding. And then patience. 
as I admitted in my opening prayer, I've struggled this week. Um, we have a guy's study on Monday nights, and this last week we talked about taming the tongue, and I had a lot of opportunity this week to practice that, to which I have failed on most of those occasions, and I kept thinking, come on, uh, I'll, I'll admit one. I, I even shared this on Monday night. I said, one of the pieces of advice I had when I went into ministry was if you get an email, rather than responding by email and it's hard to tell the tone, just pick up the phone and call the person. And I shared that with the guys, like, yep, that's the advice, it's good. Well, I got an email yesterday and I probably responded within about two minutes and afterwards I'm thinking, why did I send that? Why, why did I do that? But then... It also showed me that I've been going on this week, that I've been trying to do things. But as I leaned back in to Jesus and asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit, I did. I experienced love and peace and patience. And then there's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's probably the other one that I need to practice in terms of emails. But the Holy Spirit will continue to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And then there's unity in the family. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort, effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Holy Spirit brings unity. He brings unity in relationships and marriages and family, friendships, small groups. Paul says make every effort to maintain the unity. And maintaining unity is not always easy. Unity in the church is so important. Both the local church that we're part of here and also the global church. In the global church, we have Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox and Pentecostal and Methodists and Baptists all together. And I think one of the exciting things that's happening and that we get to witness right now is that God is lowering some of the denominational barriers. And he's bringing Christians together in the unity of the Holy Spirit. In fact, even this weekend, there's the True City Conference happening, downtown Hamilton. And it's all the churches from Hamilton and the local area coming together to focus on the person of Jesus. Cross-denominational. That's what the Spirit of God does. He brings unity in the family. It doesn't mean that there's no differences, but there's unity. I love the saying that in essentials, unity in non-essentials, charity, and in all things, Jesus Christ. And then there, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to all the children. And we're going to look at this a little bit more in our discussions, but I'm going to read the passage we'll be looking at, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. You can find printouts on, on your tables as well, but it reads, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. 
to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So the Holy Spirit gives everyone a gift. And that's not an exhaustive list that we have there. There are other gifts, including encouragement and teaching and so on. But every single one of us have gifts. The idea of community is that we're, we're meant to come together and, and use those gifts. Like, if you're familiar with Scripture, Paul often talks about the body and uses illustrations as being different parts of the same body. And it's not that you have the church leaders who do all the stuff and everyone else who watches, but that we are the church. And oftentimes it kind of gets confused kind of with the, the first image that comes to mind is this sports stadium where you have 20,000 people watching the 20 players on the field. Uh, Sometimes that's the way we, we tend to treat church. But it's meant to be everyone involved. One person wrote to his pastor like this. Dear pastor, there are 566 people in our church. A hundred are frail and elderly, which leaves 466. Eighty of those are young people at school and at college, which leaves 386 to do all the work. But 150 of those are tired business people. That leaves 236 to do all the work. 150 of those are busy with children, which leaves 86. But 15 live too far away to come here regularly, which leaves 71. And 69 say they've already done their bit for the church, and that leaves you and me. And I'm exhausted, so good luck to you. <laughs> and you know what? There's nothing that I have to, to complain about here because I love what's happening in our church. And you guys do amazing. But what's exciting is that because we all have gifts and different gifts, is that as we continue to come together and God continues to transform us, then the church becomes alive and people begin taking notice. It's all of us involved together. And that's, that's why the Spirit gives us these gifts, to, to bring us together. And as I know Ephesians 4 talks about the role of a pastor is to equip the saints. And one of my favorite things of, of ministry is actually to empower people. Like if someone is like, man, I have a passion for this and I want to get involved. I don't know how. My passion is to be like, let me figure it out. Let me resource you. Let me equip you. Let me empower you and fan that flame. And that's what I love seeing is that when it's not just about me, but that it's about all of us coming together and allowing God to take us into the community and the workplaces and homes to do what he wants through all of us. Which then leads us to the, the growing family. The Spirit of God gives us power. We read earlier today that you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. This is how the church grows. The Spirit of God gives us his power, and we are his witnesses. We tell other people about what happened. Other people see in us the difference the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit makes, and they're drawn. 
And again, maybe that's how you came to church in the first place. You saw something different in someone and you had to understand. Or perhaps that's how you got connected with the well. You saw a difference Jesus makes, that the Holy Spirit makes. You were attracted to it. But now I know that when we start talking about evangelism and being evangelistic, it can come, sometimes become terrifying about going out and telling your family and you're thinking, that's the last thing I want to do. I heard about one guy who describes his scenario like this. He said, you know, I'm not going to become a Christian because I know that if I become a Christian, it means I'll have to talk to other people. And that would be so embarrassing. So I'm definitely not going to do that. So then he decides to meet up with an older friend of his. And the friend says, look, in your case, God's going to make an exception. You never need to tell anyone about what's happened to you. And you can just keep it a secret between you and God. And the guy was so relieved. And that night he went up into his bedroom and he got down on his knees. And he gave his life to Christ and he encountered Jesus. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with this joy and excitement. And he goes down into the kitchen where his friends and family are sitting. And he says, do you guys know what's amazing? You can become a Christian and you don't even have to tell anyone about it. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. That's when we encounter God, you, it, it just starts bubbling up that, that you just naturally tell people. And actually following our Alpha series, um, I'm beginning to put together our next series, which is about gospel fluency, how to just incorporate the gospel in everyday living. So it's not this program, it's not this um, perfect like uh, five-step plan to salvation. It's just incorporating, talking about God in the everyday. And how can we do that? I'm excited to dig into that. But the point here is that when we encounter Jesus, we're filled with the Spirit. And the first thing you want to do is, is you just want, to, you want people to know. I know for myself, I, I'm a, I love technology and, and I love Apple. And when I find a new feature, either on my MacBook or my phone, I'm telling people. I'm like, oh, you have an iPhone? Let me show you this. And that's, it's kind of the same thing, that as we start encountering Jesus and we start experiencing the stuff that the Holy Spirit does in our life, we just naturally tell people. And then what's amazing to me, the Holy Spirit, he's at the very beginning of our Bible and he's at the very end of our Bible. And in almost the last verse of the whole Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, the Bride of Christ, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And that's the invitation. The invitation is to everyone. It's to you. It's to every single person. And it's this wide open invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come and experience God's love for you. Come and experience the intimate relationship of being able to address God as Abba. Come and have this deep experience of feeling God's love. Come and have access to the Father the Spirit helping you to pray, helping you to understand the Bible. Come and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Come and be united with the millions of Christians around the globe. Come and experience the gifts of the Spirit. Come and experience the power of God giving you a desire to bring blessing 
by telling other people about the good news of Jesus. And it says anybody who comes will receive the free gift of the water of life. That's the promise we have. And even if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know about this, or maybe I'm just not that thirsty, try praying. Try just asking God, saying, Lord, I'm not that thirsty, but will you give me the thirst? And I believe that God will give you that thirst. And when you have that thirst, let those who are thirsty come. Let all who wish take. This is what God will give you, the free gift of the water of life. So just before we break into discussion, I'm actually going to conclude with a Matt Marr song about this exact verse called The Spirit and the Bride. Heavenly Father, I just pray that tonight we respond to your spirit, we respond to the invitation, and we encounter you. God, fill us with your spirit. Help produce those good fruits within us. And God, begin transforming our hearts, our minds, and our lives so that as we leave here tonight, we can be part of what you're doing in transforming this world. In your name we pray, amen. So now, in our groups, we're going to do something a little different tonight. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. You have the printouts there, and if you have your Bibles, you can use that. You might have a different translation. And just as you go through that passage, it's actually going to engage with the text. So what do you think of each of the spiritual gifts refers to? What is the gift of tongues? Does anyone have any experience with this? How do you feel about the idea of God giving us supernatural gifts? Does everybody have the same gifts? Why does God give spiritual gifts? We'll take about 15 minutes to discuss that, and then we'll wrap up our service with some more worship.